Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Anthony Heron, score football analyst. You know what? Brad Pitt, you're a good actor. You're a movie star. You're more of a movie star than a great actor. And that's okay, because you're in really good movies and I enjoy them. Former NFL defensive lineman and Iowa Hawkeye. And as long as that ends up being the case, hey, Bishop, I'm still on the radio. No, it's all right. You can hang. Paw Patrol. I need another Paw Patrol. Okay, I'm going to come turn yeah, it on in just yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah. moments, all right? Big and Heron. Mr. Hedden, I want to compliment you. You're doing a fine job. With Bernstein and Holmes on the score. Anthony Heron analyzes football for the score for Fox 32 for the Big Ten Network and others. And you can follow him on Twitter at Big Ant Heron. He joins us on the score hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. It's the Bernstein Holmes show. Layla Rahimi is in for Lawrence Holmes today. Anthony, that was a hell of a football weekend. So before we get to everything that's going on with all the coaches and jobs and possible job openings, I'm just happy that after all of that, we actually got one good game. <laughs> you know, good game, competitive game. While at the same time, I, I even found the you know the Texans Browns blowout. I found that compelling because it was C.J. Stroud ascending on a postseason stage. So you know, it's kind of like you know, a bunch of games can have their their ingredients that still make them in, in the end. You know, the final dish should be be felt like there, there was quality there because this is our first opportunity to see C.J. Stroud on a postseason stage, to see D'Amico Ryans on a postseason stage and, and how they command that, how they handle that, and, and both performed at a really high level there. So then, you know, you get to you know, not enjoying the moment, thinking about what the future could hold and how frequently can they go there and all those types of things. But that was our first opportunity to witness that. So even, you know, Joe Flacco and the Browns laying a big egg, I still found just the storyline of the game itself, even in that one, to be compelling just because I've been following C.J. Stroud's career since he was in high school. He played in the All-American Bowl. And then he's at Ohio State backing up Justin Fields. And then he's stellar and – you know, the the doubts that were there about his pre-draft process and all those things. And now here he is, just, just one of the one of the young studs at the quarterback position in the sport. So even that one, I, I found something personally to be pretty compelled by. Dan and I were talking about the offensive schemes that are evident for Jordan Love and for C.J. Stroud. And it's some creative stuff pre-snap, as we've seen, and really just putting people in positions to succeed. I don't know why this is so hard to do for people. <laughs> And I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face, and I probably will say it the rest of my life. But it's hard to argue with the results when you see how the Texans and D'Amico Ryan's player-based coach staff are setting people up to just utilize their strengths. And I I guess it must be difficult. Like, it's one thing to be a – you know, a schematic genius. So the the in-game strategies and clock management, timeout usage, there is a lot that is on the plate of coaches. There's no, no doubt about that. But to at least craft a game plan that suits your personnel. And then in the end, all right, maybe, maybe you don't call the perfect play at the perfect moment. I get some of that, but 
you know, just the, the blindness that we've witnessed at times in Chicago from recent offensive coordinators, offensive play callers. It's like, are, are, you, are you looking at your quarterback? Have you met your QB? Have you studied your offensive line? Why exactly are you, are you going in with this game plan? Now, in Matt Nagy's case, just from things I've heard from you know, a couple of folks, the game plan itself would go in with something that seemed like it makes sense, and then he would just completely abandon it during the game and just call it in a completely different way than what they had planned beforehand. That was part of the issue with Nagy, from my understanding. I don't know if that was if Luke Getzey was as guilty of something like that or not. I haven't necessarily heard it to that extent. But with Matt Nagy, he would just kind of start doing his own thing that was different from the game plan that everybody had, had worked on really, really hard and spent a bunch of hours on during the week. But when you watch some of these teams, it just say, yeah, it doesn't all have to be on the QB. I mean, Matt LaFleur, we've talked about it before. Matt LaFleur lengthened the career of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was beginning to flounder before Matt LaFleur showed up because so much of everything that was happening in Green Bay was on his shoulders, and it is so tough to sustain that. It is difficult for young quarterbacks to do it at that level for that amount of time, but then as you begin to age, and your skills begin to erode, and perhaps just as you've gotten comfortable in the position you're in, maybe your preparation, the focus of detail begins to diminish a bit. All those things can end up being factors where your performance starts to diminish. But Matt LaFleur came in. He said, yeah, we we, we got to have more of a run focus to the offense. We need multiple backs and some safer passes, and yet you don't have to be the one traffic copping everything pre-snap by yourself. Maybe we get a little bit less of that. And then you saw him win a couple MVPs with LaFleur as his head coach, taking things off of the plate of a guy who had already had a Hall of Fame resume even by then. And it, it seems so obvious, and we've seen it so frequently over the years, yet and still uh, just, there are coaches, there are play callers that, that feel like there's this formula for when you quote-unquote go and get the right guy, then we just got to throw everything on them, and it fails so frequently, and then, you know, to the Bears part of the conversation, whether you do or don't draft the right guy, then still you need to surround that individual with infrastructure, and there are certain teams who do that better and more consistently than others, and then, then there's the Bears, who, who haven't historically, and so we still got to wait and see whether or not this regime is going to get that right. I mean, to me, there's so much that you can flash back to watching the Bears dismantle or uh, the Packers dismantle the Cowboys like they did and then going back to that Bears Packers game and just seeing the contrast in offenses don't even snap the ball <laughs> start with the pre-snap <laughs> yeah. and how the Bears offense is standing out there like statues <laughs> nobody moves you know exactly where they're going you know exactly where the first read's going to be and then you see what the Packers were doing with their pre-snap motion and utilizing the whole field when they do and how they lined up and when they decided to use a trips or a bunch formation. And it was a much more balanced field. And that's that's what drives me so crazy sometimes is, is before the ball's even snapped, you could already tell certain things are going to work. And you knew certain things with the Bears offense just weren't. And there will be times where where it can it can end up being window dressing and cer- certainly – Defenses will get a bead on whether or not you're just using motion to gather information. But when, when you use motion, as much as, as much as Green Bay does pre-snap and utilizing some of the things, you're, you're trying to generate either of two things when you use significant pre-snap motion. You're, you're trying to generate matchups. You're trying to generate – well, I guess it would be – okay, if I pare it down to two things, you're either trying to generate information or you're trying to generate leverage. 
It's either of those two things when you're using motion, you know, because matchups can really be, you know, sort of this subjective thing either. But you're trying to generate information, and maybe you can create a matchup based off of that information. But you're gathering information with motion, and you're creating leverage with motion. Either of those two things can happen, and, and quite frequently both those things can take place. And so even if the opposing defense has a sense for what you're going to run when you're utilizing motion, you can still out-leverage them. You know, we've seen, we've seen Sean McVay do that a bunch over his years uh, that he's been coaching the Rams. And he's gotten to a point where he utilizes leverage, I would say, more frequently now even than he did in his initial seasons where initially when he got to, to L.A. or what was, was it? No, it wasn't St. Louis. Yeah, it was still Jeff Fisher in St. Louis and they come. Uh, but in the time he's been coaching the Rams, a lot of it initially was about 11 personnel kind of static bunch formations and then sort of bursting, exploding out of that with slot receivers and, and the tight end position a little bit and just using guys who you could create space based off being in really tight formations. And part of that is still a part of their offense, but you see the way he's able to utilize leverage. Even when there's a thought on third and medium or third and long, they were going to go to Puka Nakua. And yeah, even though the defense may have a sense for that, but even though they know you're going to key on that guy, that that is likely your primary read, but utilizing motion, especially in a down and distance where you're confident the defense will be in man coverage, you run your best player in motion, and then when you spot man, you say, yeah, we got him. We, we know what we're doing here. Or if they are in zone, that individual has a good conceptual understanding of where to sit down against that zone. So you can still use the creativity of motion. It's a, a drum you've been beating for quite a while, Layla. I know you have, where you can still utilize motion to dictate your terms to the opposing defense in a way that the Bears offense just never consistently stuck with under Luke Getze. Yeah, I mean, if you run the ball well, fake like you're running and do something different, and then you get yeah. what you need to move on to the next play. Like, I, yeah, it's going to be a rough offseason. And, and just me. getting the quarterback on the move, right? Like, neither, neither quarterback. We're mainly talking so far about Jordan Love, C.J. Stroud. Neither one of those QBs is the athlete, the runner that Justin Fields is, but the consistency – of those offenses, getting those quarterbacks on the move, not just having them consistently in a stationary pocket. It does a couple of different things. One, it allows your offensive line to not have to protect this stationary pocket, this platform that's consistent where the opposing defense just tees off on it, snap after snap after snap. And so, yes, you can create matchups at the third level of your defense you know, because you, it's difficult to have the eye discipline in the secondary when the pocket goes from one hash mark to the opposite hash mark or perhaps even outside the numbers and you're trying to figure out where where are the – now that the launch point has moved, where's the target point for the quarterback? What area of the field are we covering? Because it's nearly impossible to cover, cover every blade of grass on the field as a defender. So when the launch point moves, especially when it moves in a dramatic way, it's easy to have tight ends, backside receivers, or – play side receivers go against the grain on the formation and, and just sort of outflank you when they're doing that. And these are offenses that, that do that at a high level. So not only are you easing the pass protection responsibilities of your offensive line, but you're just taking mental pressure off of your quarterback because they're not in this stationary posture where they're reading the full field, snap in and snap out. C.J. Stroud, First, you know, rookie season, first full year as a starter. Jordan Love, first full season as a starter, even though he's deeper into his career, of course, than Stroud is. But even though those offenses aren't necessarily using QB run 
to do some of those things to to ease some of the mental pressure and to put pressure on the opposing defense with dropping safeties into the box and those types of things. But when you get them on the move, even in a passing posture, it takes both physical and mental pressure off of the quarterback. So while we're doing this as a big Bears subtweet, let me give you some information from Pro Football Focus that will also make you feel miserable. (laughs) Aiden Hutchinson, in his first playoff game, had 23 pass rushing snaps on which he generated nine pressures and two sacks. That is a 39.1% pressure percentage. He's not going anywhere for a while (laughs) either. And regardless of who the Bears quarterback is, this guy's going to be chasing him. Aiden Hutchinson with Detroit, Rashawn Gary with Green Bay, and, you know, of course, yeah, the the Bears have their guy now as well with Montez Sweat. But, yes, you you see what the – at least during my time in the league, the way it was always discussed. Every game plan we ever set going into a game was about how does our defensive front affect the opposing quarterback and how does the opposing quarterback impact the entirety of our defense. And that's – those are the two – the two key areas where your D-line is going to rush, your QB is going to be the one with the football in his hands on every single play. And so when you know that, then how do you actually make that opposing quarterback uncomfortable? And to have someone like Aiden Hutchinson who's able to do that, and sure, there was a, a dry stretch of the season without sacks, but we talked about it after the, I think it was the very first game when Justin Fields returned from the, the dislocated thumb uh, on his throwing hand where, you know, just Fields had a really good game in Detroit, but Aiden Hutchinson, he's, his only sack was on the very last snap of the game. But still, you could see the impact that he had, how difficult it was. And it was impressive how well Darnell Wright was able to hold up with as active, as long, as athletic as Aiden Hutchinson is. But in some one-on-one opportunities, Darnell Wright more than held his own in that game. But you could still see, even when he's initially blocked, and sometimes blocked and and sort of, you know, having two different individuals responsible for him, just hit the consistency of the violence that he plays with, the force that he applies to the pocket, and that urgency that he just seems to take the field with every individual game, it's impactful. And, and the quarterback will often feel that, even if he's not hitting the QB, which he did frequently, you know, hit, hit the QB in that game. But even when he's not hitting the quarterback, you just feel that around you, that presence mm-hmm. from that defender is there on a consistent basis. And you, you love knowing that that's there when you're setting up your defensive game plan because you know the opposing offense will have to, will have to game plan for that, will have to be prepared for that level of fury that just gets brought, snap in and snap out. I think there's something else to note that Bears fans have observed, and it was in last night's Lions-Rams game. It's defense-related, and I want to ask you that for the next segment. You cool with that? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because I think there's there's something we've all noticed, and I, uh, I think it's gonna, it needs to be put on notice. <laughs> all right, we'll do that next. Anthony Heron, more with him on The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Joseph, as Higby was coming across the middle, got him. And the athletic training staff out to look at him. NBC on the call of the late hit on Tyler Higby. We're talking football. We're talking super wild card weekend that is continuing through today. Uh, that's totally awesome. Super wild card weekend to you, for real. <laughs> and I don't know that they really told Buffalo that there's a game in a few hours because that stadium is not ready for people. Based on the pictures that we're getting, it's it's there's no place people can sit because they cleared the concourses. And the staircases, but not the seats. The They're going to sno- show up in snow pants. We've all sat in snow pants before. Oh. We know what that's like. I'm sure Bills fans have experience with sitting on top of I snow have. When snow we used pants. to go to games, you know, I'll never forget going to the final game of the 1983 season against the Packers. Bears won at no T on a Bob Thomas field goal, and we were in sleeping bags. We were, we were in snow pants and wool socks and chemical hand warmers and all that and actually in sleeping bags in our seats. I'm not They're one for stand. pants, but I have two pairs on today. That, so you're, we've buried the lead. <laughs> yes, you guys know how I feel about pants. I don't wear them most of the year to work. But now she's doubling up on pants. That's how serious I mean, it was. I'm two only, pairs of pants. I'm today. only wearing one pair of pants. So it I'm, seems I'm, like suitable conditions to have yep. multiple layers on, whether whether top or bottom. We went out yesterday. We had a, um, you know, we had like a couple of different practices for for the six year old, and so we're out there. And I'd explain to him beforehand, like, God, it's very cold. It's below zero. They, they don't care. Yeah, so we gotta we gotta race through the parking lot here. You're not gonna stop and play in the snow. Hey. All right, we get inside, we come out. When I get you in this car seat, either you get in the car seat quickly, or Daddy's gonna get frostbite. And then, of course, he wants to know what is frostbite. Pop? <laughs> All right, let me try to explain frostbite in very quick terms that a six year old will understand. Mm-hmm. Your skin dies, son. Ah! If I'm outside ah! too long, your skin burns and it dies. And so I try to put it in terms that would you know, sort of elicit the gravity of the mm-hmm. situation to him. Sure. We get out there. He actually did. He did a great job. He got to the vehicle pretty quickly, immediately didn't go in and start rolling around and climbing over everything in the truck, like just get in the seat. Wasn't, but then, wasn't doing the alligator spin. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't doing turbo and ozone. He wasn't beatboxing inside. He just got in the seat and did his thing. Yep. But as I'm strapping him in i noticed that he's just staring at my face the entire time because i've told him you can get frostbite pretty quickly you don't want daddy's skin to die do you so he's looking at like my cheeks and my nose oh, checking I you over see, yeah he's just waiting to see are you going to turn into jack frost right now so he's just staring at mm-hmm. my face just seeing if i'm impacted
distracted by this thing. Fortunately, we got in in, in safe fashion, and it was not an issue. But yesterday, yes, we did have some some frostbite conversations in the family. Ah, uh, my eyelashes were frozen when I got home yesterday. Like Andy Reid's mustache. Yes. Also, Andy Reid never looked more like a walrus <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> Which uh, is saying something for Andy Reid. Ah. Uh, Man, that was that was just a solid win out of them. I want to ask you this question though about the Lions defense. Mm-hmm. Do you question the angle of tackles by their linebackers and safeties? <laughs> the angle, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's been a, a consistent enough refrain. Now, you know, we were talking in the previous segment about the way that that motion ends up getting utilized to create leverage. You know, you're generating information, you're generating leverage, and you know, you got a receiver that's as difficult to tackle as Puka Nakua because of he's got a, a good a quality combination of of size and speed. Like he's not gonna win foot races against a lot of the DBs, but it's fast enough where he makes your angle difficult. And then once you get there, if you don't have, you know, the, just the proper wrap on your tackle, he is so strong after the catch and just ferocious after the catch too. Like he runs Anger. Collinsworth even referenced it at one point, I'm pretty sure, during the game. I think it might have been about Amon Ross St. Brown, but Amon Ross St. Brown doesn't have the physical stature that Puka Nakua does, but both have a similar mentality after the catch. They, they kind of you know, get a, a DJ Moore-style kind of running back mentality to them. And neither of them is DJ Moore, but a lot of receivers are comfortable gliding out of bounds or comfortable. All right, I felt, I felt a forearm on my thigh. I guess it's time to go down. But Puka Nakua, Amon Ross St. Brown, both of them have a very similar mentality of just wanting to see how, how much they can milk every single inch after every single grab. So, yes, I would certainly put some of it on angles from Detroit's defense, which has been an issue for them at, at times regardless. But then also, Nakua's just really difficult to contain. Once he gets his hands on the football and you got him matched up with either a linebacker who he's faster than or a defensive back who he's just bigger and angrier than, then he's just tough to bring down. What do you make of the coaching firing possibilities that are presented by some of the disappointing results. We know that there's a good chance. Matt Mike- Eberflus is going to be the Bears coach Ugh, this coming season. Stop trolling me. Just if that's, the, you know, if that's what stop, we're about to allude to trolling here. me. No, it's just that it, my guess is Mike McCarthy is fired today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then we brought up the possibility, would Philly actually fire Nick Sirianni if they lose? I actually think that there's a higher likelihood of that than McCarthy is. And, you know, we saw as much as Jerry Jones has so much bluster and Jerry Jones has, you know, high expectations that he's always vocal about. But, you know, you think of Jason Garrett. I don't, what Was Jason Garrett the coach for like almost a decade? 12 years, I thought, right? Okay, so over a decade no, without winning the playoff game. It was game, way maybe? too long. I'll, I'll look it up. I thought It, <laughs> it was, was much longer time. than most of us anticipated. So there is a level of we don't associate Jerry Jones with patience, but as far as the head coach in place – there's a level of patience there. So I would agree with Layla. And, you know, I would say that you know, because you, you worked in that market, you know how the Eagles operate. And they're ten one of years. these franchises. Ten, it was, ten it, years for Jason Garrett. A square decade. Wow. wow. It felt like and more. the Eagles are one of the teams that I utilize as, as an example. When, you know, when I talk to Bears fans about right, so the comparison of the current quarterback in Justin Fields versus the potential of a fresh quarterback, regardless of what they do, I, you know, I think it's very likely they're going to use the number one pick on a QB, but whether it is Fields, I'm sure I've talked to you guys about it before, or it's Caleb Williams or whomever, the infrastructure in place needs to matter. And a, a franchise like the Eagles, 
they're going to be in the mix. If they fire Sirianni and get a different head coach in next season, there is no evidence over the last three decades that the Eagles are going to take some big step back. They're going to hire another coach. They're going to have Jalen Hurts in place for a few more seasons. Once he starts to falter, they're going to bring some other quarterback in behind him and have someone ready and waiting to figure things out there. They're one of the franchises in football that has whatever their formula is, whatever their infrastructure is, coach after coach, quarterback after quarterback, they win because the organizational structure is set up to win mm-hmm. at a high level. They're, they're not doing a whole lot of process with the Eagles. You know, they, they leave that stuff to the basketball program over there in Philly. With the Eagles, they don't tear it down to build it back up. They just continue to have the next coach and the next QB, and they make sure that it is going to be dependent upon the whole as opposed to having to, quote-unquote, find the right guy or draft the right guy. That, that organization has something in the elixir that's figured out for them where even if they do move on from Sirianni, which I think the possibility is there, they moved on from a coach after winning the Super Bowl, went, moved on from the previous coach who was probably already a Hall of Famer who won the NFC every year and went to the Super Bowl there. They don't mind moving on from coaches, and they don't mind at times doing it pretty quickly. So, yes, I would agree that Sirianni's job could potentially be on the line here. Well, when we talk about losing a locker room, we were thinking about the Bears, and we talked about how youth alone, if the majority of your roster is young, the concept of losing your locker room really isn't that significant because young guys tend to go along with what's in front of them. You mm. know that, Ant, better than uh-huh. anybody. You played in the league. So then we see what's happening in Philadelphia. And regardless of what's happening inside the locker room, you're seeing the results on the field. You're seeing a team in, in a free fall that I don't think any of us have seen to this extent in a while when it comes to – the losses for a talented team adding up the way they have. And what seems like to a lot of people in Philly, this game is a foregone conclusion already, which yeah. is ridiculous. And I'm like, okay, so is that the example? You know, when we talk about a lost room and you can't even point to anything there that really dictates that there's proof in that too, other than the losing. And that that's the main, you know, sort of piece of evidence that's there while at the same time, yeah, I think we've seen examples of the kind of the quote-unquote Super Bowl hangover for the team that loses the Super Bowl. And I feel like maybe in recent years it hasn't shown itself as much. But kind of historically throughout my adult life, there's so many examples of the team that for whatever reason, I don't know if there's ever been a, a great explanation for breaking down why, but the team that goes to lose the Super Bowl tends to struggle more in the following season than the team who won the Super Bowl. I, I don't know if it's just – you know, kind of psychosomatically just you, you've done all that work and you don't get the payoff in the end to hoist the Lombardi trophy. And so, you know, it's almost like, well, what did we do all this for? It feels unrequited for everything that you did to get there. And so whatever level of erosion of the, the intangibles and of the focus and then the, the tangible physical aspect of it as well, that you do need the additional detail of rehab and physical therapy because – your team is just going to be just as banged up, just as beat up, just as worn down as the squad that won the Super Bowl. But the squad that won the Super Bowl, you do have the positive affirmation where now it, it, it at least you know ended in the way you wanted it to win and all your desires were met. Whereas with the Eagles, they're one of these teams who goes to the Super Bowl, loses it in that particular year, and now you got to figure out how do we come back and respond from that. You know, you add in, all right, Jalen Hurts banged up and the defense – a little older, still expensive, not performing nearly at the level that they were early in the season, certainly not like they were last year. And defense is so much 
about mentality and effort and energy and urgency, aggression, all these things that when that is sapped to some extent, then it can be hard to continue a level of dominance. Even if you do feel like your personnel is deep and your roster is veteran-laden, but is there another gear that they can hit in the playoffs here? I, I certainly wouldn't count them out of the mix of that. And, you know, it's, it's been a nice season for Tampa Bay, and Baker Mayfield is just one of many quarterbacks. I was talking to my wife about it last night. She's like, Baker Mayfield is, is in the playoffs? I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's fine. He's good, middle of the road, good enough. He had another one of those seasons like, you know what? He's actually above average, and that's enough a lot of times when everything around you is going well as a QB in football. And so, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly picking them over Tampa Bay tonight, but if they go down to the Bucks, then Sirianni is in, I, I'd say, probably deserve it trouble. Anthony Heron, thank you so much as always. Much appreciated. I appreciate you both. Thanks, Ant. That's Big Ant. Next up, we have High Noon. I am going to give you a vocabulary quiz of a sort. Of a sort? Yes. It's a very special kind of vocabulary quiz. Have you heard that there's a holy grail of shipwrecks? Beyond the Titanic? Oh, yeah. Really? Not even anywhere near it. Okay, I'm interested. We'll do that next on The Score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Plenty of football talk so far on this show, digesting the weekend, also trying to make some sense of the really uh, cruel and unfortunate turn of events at the United Center on Friday night and just why certain things have unfortunately been been baked in, certain mythologies have been baked in that have turned some people into people capable of, of that kind of behavior that we saw on Friday night. It's, it's too bad. And it, like, what, what do you do two years from now when you're going to reconvene and, and do this all again? Thelma Krause didn't deserve that. That's it. That's it to me. Thelma did not deserve that. No. And, and, and or there's some of it Jerry doesn't even deserve. You can not like him for all of the, the reasons why people found him distasteful or uncomfortable he does, that's a night to honor all the what he did not what he didn't do or not who he he decided he was their enemy it's what he himself did to not only win your help win your bulls six championships but also he was immensely involved in in finding some of the people that got your white Sox a championship he was a baseball scout too it was it was too bad because he, he was immensely important in those six championships. And, and should, successful. And should have been honored for it instead of pillory. I think I may have come up with a possible solution, but we'll talk about it later. Hey, Dan. What? Did you hear about the holy grail of shipwrecks, which may hold cargo worth billions? No, there was one, what was it, Ship of Gold? It was a great, great book telling the story exciting. about a, a ship full of gold that was, and it was like, a, it, it was complete true story, and it read like an Indiana Jones movie. Well, it might be this, because this is the shipwreck of the Galleon San Jose, which is believed to contain a cargo that holds worth billions of dollars. Obviously precious metals, duh. The 315-year-old wreck, often called the Holy Grail of Shipwrecks, has been controversial because it is, it, it is both an archaeological and economic treasure. 
It sunk in 1708. And Colombia, which is adjacent to where this is, has decided that they're going to try to go after it. Okay. Which I think makes sense, you know, that they had a 600-member crew on this boat. Wow. Yeah, this was this was quite the thing. What year was it again? 1708. Wow. Is the one I'm thinking of an amazing book. And it's in the Caribbean. The amazing book called Ship of Gold in the Deep Blue Sea. Well, this ship is believed to hold 11 million gold and silver coins, emeralds, and other precious cargo from Spanish-controlled colonies, which would be worth billions of dollars if it were ever recovered. Yeah, this they one, stole stuff. This one sunk in 1857. It was This was carrying nearly 600 passengers returning from the California gold rush. We're not doing enough of that. We're not excavating things at the bottom of the ocean. We should really start cleaning up our mess. I'm finding a bunch of the money. But here's the thing. So in 2018, the United Nations Cultural Agency called on Colombia to not commercially exploit the wreck. How do you not do that? I would be very tempted. I'd be like, oh, here's this emerald. Don't mind if I do. How deep? That's what you guys did. How deep did they say it was? It's at the bottom of the Caribbean. I don't know. I know. There's different shelves and Yeah, this isn't the Marianas Trench that we're talking about here. But yes, it it is something to behold. I, I don't know what's gotten into me today. I can recall sublimation in the Marianas Trench okay, but I can't do, like, Doug Peterson. <laughs> I think it tells you more about Doug Peterson, probably. No, it doesn't. He won a Super Bowl. We just talked about giving people credit for their accomplishments. You're right, we did, didn't we? So I'm very interested to see what happens here. The wreck was discovered three years ago with the help of an international team of experts and autonomous underwater vehicles, but the exact location is a state secret, as well it should be. But don't you want to know? Yes. Not that I would do anything about it. What are you talking about? The price of gold is only going up. Those commercials on various cable networks are not lying to you. That's the truth. Look at the commodities right now. The market's off today, I think, but still. Wayne State University in Michigan prides themselves on releasing a list that aims to resurrect long-lost but not completely forgotten words. And this is this year's list. So I'm going to give you a word. So you're talking about old-timey words. Some I've, some I've never heard of at all, regardless of when. Some I have. And I guess it makes me feel old because they were words that had been used. There's one that's relatively common. So I'm going to give you the list. All right. And you tell me, based on what the word sounds like, what, what do you think it means? Okay? Yes. All right. So this year's words include blatherskite. Blatherskite. Your word is blatherskite. I have no clue, gentlemen. I I don't know either, Ben. <laughs> Robbie, I think it just sounds like nonsense. Like you sound, you're saying nonsense. Yes, yeah. It is a person who talks at great length without making much sense. That person would be a blatherskite. That is you and me. There you go. What about Kurglaff? C U R G L A F F. Kurglaff. I'm terrible at this game. Kerglaf is the shock felt when one first plunges into cold water. But not air. Correct. So, hmm. That word doesn't sound English. Kerglaf. That's like the plunge pool over at the Schwitz when you come out of the hot sauna and you go to the ice cold plunge pool. Kerglaf. This one is fairly easy. Dollop. 
Yeah. Well, Dollop is now also a, a series of very successful coffee shops out and about. Oh, I didn't know that. But Dollop, yeah. a shapeless mass or blob of something. Yeah, it's like somewhere around a tablespoon-ish. I always picture sour cream as something that, is, that comes in a dollop. That's because of the dollop of Daisy. Coffee clatch. Nope. This word, <laughs> This one I knew. Something to do with a filter, perhaps? Coffee clatch. K-A-F-F-E-E-K-L-A-T-C-H. It's from the German or Yiddish, an informal social gathering at which coffee is served. Huh. There's some more. Pocky. P-A-W-K-Y. Talk less pocky. Talk more pocky. It's having a mocking or cynical sense of humor. I feel like we should use that one. I don't I don't like the sound of that word. This is a cool word. Petrichor. P-E-T-R-I-C-H-O-R. Petrichor. Sounds like it could be like a music genre. Also sounds like something somebody would call an oil company. You're right. But what it is, petrichor is the pleasant smell that accompanies the first rain after a long period of warm, dry weather. There's a word for that? Petrichor is the word for that. That's not a good enough word. How about pettifogger? F-A-U-G-E-R. Is it a petty individual? Pe- a petty fogger, I always thought, was a con man. I always thought some, a petty fogger was, was another way of saying con man. It's not. It's an inferior legal practitioner. Then well, that's there, a lot of people. Then there's raw gabbit. Anything but for raw gabbit? Talking a lot of trash. Yeah, a person who speaks confidently but ignorantly. Wow. Very that good. Nicely done. Thanks. Two more. Thunderplump. You've been. Thunderplump. Did you guys both laugh that loudly? It was me. I have a loud laugh. This is supposed to be a soundproof window. I'm uh, very loud. Thunderplump. Is how I feel after Thanksgiving. Isn't that what uh, Stephen A. called Jason Whitlock? <laughs> it's the heavy fall of rain during a thunderstorm is known as Thunderplump. I gotta ask Brent Miller about that one. Ask him. And lastly, the word twinkle. It's what the stars do up there, <laughs> except for last night, because the cowboys sky. lost and it was a problem. <laughs> twinkle. But Jerry's not gonna fire Mike McCarthy, no. To twinkle is to twang with the fingers on a musical instrument. Pluck. The word is pluck. I thought so too. Uh, you know, finger pick, I thought, but twinkle is an actual word. So there you have it. So now when you can, this year, you can enjoy the aroma of the petrichor after the thunderplump. Nobody's going to believe us. Well, it's right here. It's in the damn UPI oddities. So I've got it here. We'll go. We'll take him to Wayne State and show him the list. I'm more confused than ever. That's high noon. Oh, hey. What? What? I have a draft update from Kaylin Kaler, and it kind of... Uh, segues into our next topic. Yes. So she says the deadline for underclassmen to submit paperwork to the league office to declare for the 2024 NFL draft, as we know, is today. When? Anything received prior to midnight Eastern would be acceptable. That's nine o'clock on the West Coast for you kids. Okay. I just so want to know exactly when. He's got when. until 9 p.m. LA time. I don't know where he's hanging out right now, though. And some of the response from people like don't draft him he's a diva he's making it all about him 
Absolutely insane. um, Who do you want? That's the better question. Well, Dane Brugler was on this morning with the Mully and Haw show with Gabe Ramirez and Marshall Harris sitting in. And he had all kinds of cool stuff about this class, about the declaration deadline, and about some of the bizarre theories regarding Caleb Williams. All of it. And who the Bears might be able to get at nine. So... I think it's worth bringing back because the, the guy whose work we use primarily for who's your guy, which is going to come up as we get toward the draft, doesn't make a lot of radio appearances, but he made one in this game. Would you say it was a beast of a segment? Oh, that's what he called his draft guide. So Twinkle. We'll do that next on the score. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.